Hello, and welcome to the Encouragement Expert Podcast. We're glad you're here with us today. Let's join Pastor Wes Doffenbaugh with today's encouraging word titled, Take Courage. Praise the Lord. It's a delight to be with you today. I love each one of you. God bless you. Let's say a prayer together. Father, we want you to uh, really communicate to us in this message that uh, your voice would uh, cause us to produce tremendous fruit because of a surge of new spiritual courage. Do that, we pray, for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. We'll have a wonderful message. Just before we get into it, I want to give you a, a, a happy testimony that my new book, which has been in 20 months in production from the time I started writing it, uh, it's called Good and Faithful Servant, A Trumpet Call to Return to Spiritual Leadership. Now, this book is ready. I'm ready to take orders. I will have uh, uh, probably about 100 printed copies uh, within a couple of weeks. And uh, so we can take orders now. Then I can autograph those for you. But I would like every one of my partners to get this because it's the key truths of spiritual leadership that I learned over 47 years in the ministry. And it's not just for people who are pastors or who are going to have some full-time you know, like a missionary or something. Uh, this is for the whole body of Christ because God wants each of us to lead many to righteousness, which is the definition of spiritual leadership. So the book is uh, $17.99 or $18 if you want to round it off. And uh, we to ship it to you probably need $3. Now you could call me on the phone and order these. Uh, and if you did, I'm at 541-729-5015. But I really look forward to you becoming spiritual leaders, each one of you, and then for you to teach this because by God's grace, we're going to make a full curriculum uh, with a DVD set of me teaching it so you could play a little bit of that and then uh, lead discussion, prayer, and extra study from all the material that's going to be in the teacher's guide, which we would give you. So pray with me for the completion of the full curriculum. But right now, you could uh, get the book and start absorbing these lessons. And believe me, each one is a tremendous lesson. Now, not very much of this book did I learn from people, although I learned a little bit through people. Most of it was directly taught to me by the Holy Spirit. And so uh, you're going to find God in this book. It is a beautiful book, by the way. Beautiful, beautiful cover. Uh, over 60 drawings. And uh, it's just really well laid out, very professional. And then in the back, you'll find my lifetime collection of virtues with a definition of what they'd look like fleshed out in your life. That might be one of the best aspects of the entire book, to be able to pray over those things. Now, let's get into the message. It's called Take Courage. Now, when the disciples of Jesus, uh, after he fed the 5,000, he put them in the boat, told them to cross the lake. And so that was, uh, you know, the evening but they rode all night long against a contrary wind, and uh, early in the morning, just before dawn, Jesus came walking on the water, and when they saw him, they thought it was a ghost that cried out, but he said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. All right, now another example in the Bible is when Paul was arrested in Jerusalem, Jesus appeared to him, and the first thing he said is, take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify about me in Rome. Let's take another example. When the Lord spoke to Joshua <clears throat> before the invasion of Canaan, 
The Lord said to him, Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Now, the Lord's command to be courageous and to take courage enabled Peter to walk on water, and the Lord's command to Paul to take courage enabled Paul to survive uh, two years of imprisonment, uh, shipwreck, snakebite, plague, and make it safely to Rome through a series of mighty miracles. And then the Lord's command to be strong and courageous enabled Joshua to attack and conquer seven nations in Canaan, each one of them mightier than Israel. Now, I sense to the Lord saying to me personally and to all the body of Christ, take courage. Uh, we have many wonderful reasons to take courage. And if we take courage from God, we'll see and experience miraculous victories. Now, my first point is, we take courage because we have a secret weapon. Back when I was 22, I worked in a veneer mill, and there was an unsaved man there, and he was telling us that his brother had been arrested and was facing a long prison time uh, for drug possession, but uh, turned out the brother had borrowed someone's car, and that person had illegal drugs in the, in the glove box, or under the seat or something. And so when the police happened to stop him for a traffic violation, they found those drugs and accused him of being a drug trafficker. And uh, the police were distorting the report. And so it looked like his brother was going to get slammed. And I said to him, don't worry, we'll use our secret weapon. And he looked at me like, a secret weapon? What do you mean? I said, well, this other Christian works with me here. And Jesus told us Christians uh, that if any two of us would agree about anything that we ask for, it would be done for us by our Father in heaven. That's Matthew 18, 19. So I just said, me and this other brother will agree that your brother won't be framed. You won't be found guilty. We'll use our secret weapon. And uh, so we did. We agreed. We prayed. And that case was thrown out of court. And that unsaved brother then whom we worked with was just utterly amazed. So I want to call your attention to the fact that we have a secret weapon. We can agree in prayer. It's a tremendous, tremendous weapon. Now, my second point is we take courage because our enemies do not have our weapon. Now, how many of you would agree that it looks like evil has been gaining ascendancy in the United States of America? And it looks like we're surrounded by crazy people. A cancel culture has arisen, arisen that punishes free speech. I was amazed when a lady was hired by Arizona State University and then had her job offer as a dean rescinded because she had written an email that said, for the family of George Floyd, for good police officers who keep us safe, my students, faculty, and staff praying for peace on this Blackout Tuesday. Now, she happened to say that she was praying for good police officers, and for that, her job offer was canceled. The drive-by media has become, become propagandized. So the spirit of Antichrist rules at most of our great universities. Transgender confusion is marketed to the nation's youth in our public schools. 
And many in our nation now think that socialism is preferable to capitalism. I'll tell you what, socialism is a one-way road to poverty for everybody except a few at the very top of the heap who oppress everybody else. And uh, it usually results in a lot of murder, uh, hundreds of millions of people murdered because of uh, communist China and communist uh, Russia over the years. Well, uh, we now see because of the COVID thing that, that the government can shut down our churches uh, and we're very vulnerable when our churches don't have strong small group ministries that can meet in the homes. We've got to get back to meeting in the homes. We can meet together in a big assembly but uh, big assemblies have also got to have these small group ministries. Now, we also see mayors who allow lawlessness, lawless armed gangs to take over several city blocks, think Seattle, allow rioters to burn and destroy nightly for over a month, think Portland, Oregon. City councils who vote unanimously to defund the police, think Minneapolis. <laughs> well, it looks like we're surrounded by crazies who do not value freedom who do not view uh, and who view conservative Christians as their greatest enemies. I would say the devil has most of Hollywood on his side, most of the educational system, most of the press and media, and a great deal of government and business besides. But there's one thing the devil and his people do not have. They do not have our secret weapon. Listen, they cannot get an answer to prayer. God spoke through Isaiah, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Now they can have all their millions of dollars. They can have all their uh, distorted lies and slander attacks, but they can't get an answer to prayer. Now there are many such verses in the Bible that tell us wicked and unrepented people cannot get answers to prayer. So here's another one. When you spread out your hands, I'll hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. See, the left-wing people that are so pro-abortion, God's not going to hear their prayer. Their hands are full of blood. Now, the enemy of righteousness may have great lies, massive funding, the ability to deceive multitudes, but they can't get Almighty God to respond to them in prayer. Now, my third point is take courage because when we're surrounded, we pray. Let me give you just a few Bible examples. Elisha uh, gave the king of uh, Israel so many prophetic words. He'd tell them every, every time they were going to get attacked and where the army was going to show up. And finally, the king of Syria thought there was a spy in his midst. But someone said, it's not the spy, it's that prophet. He tells the king of Israel what you're saying in your bedroom. So they set out to arrest him. Now they came with a great army, the Bible says, and they surrounded Elisha's house so that when they got up in the morning, his servant looked out and uh, was, uh, said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Because they were totally surrounded. Well, the prophet said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed and said, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And when the Lord opened the young man's spiritual eyes, he beheld that the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. In other words, it was an army of angels much bigger than that Syrian army. 
And as the Syrian army advanced then to take him captive, Elisha prayed. See, he used his secret weapon. He said, please strike this people with blindness. So the Lord struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And then Elisha said to them, this is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me and I'll bring you to the man whom you seek. And so he led them captive into the capital city of Israel, which was Samaria. And uh, <clears throat> what, a, what a story. Of course, then the king said, shall I kill them? And he said, no, I'll give them a feast. And then he sent them home. Well, uh, now remember, the enemy had all this great multitudes of weapons, but Elisha had the secret weapon. And he prayed two prayers, that his servant's eyes would be opened and that his enemy's eyes would be blinded. And both prayers were magnificently answered. Here's another story. King Jehoshaphat, when king, of, uh, king in uh, the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom. Well, three great nations uh, teamed up, Ammon, Moab, and the men of Mount Seir. And they were going to just slaughter all the people of Judah. And so the king called a sacred assembly, which is a fasting prayer meeting. And they cried out to God for help. And they used their secret weapon. Now, the enemies had overwhelming force, numbers and weapons, uh, but they couldn't get an answer to prayer, all right? So the result was that God caused two, the Ammon and Moab, to gang up and wipe out all the men of Mount Seir. And when that was done, they got mad at each other and wiped out each other. And the Bible says not a single man was left. Now, at that time, the King Jehoshaphat had an army and the Bible tells us, you can count them up, it was over a million man army. But he prayed and said, we're powerless against this great horde that are, is coming against us, but our eyes are on you. All this in Second Chronicles chapter 20. So if a million man army was powerless to face a great horde, then it had to be two to three million enemy soldiers, and every single one was wiped out in a single day. So that's one of the greatest military battles in the history of all mankind, and it was won through the use of our secret weapon. Now, in our nation, well, another example, the king of Assyria that was so victorious, crushing all the countries around him, but he came to destroy Jerusalem and, and uh, Judah and uh, had Jerusalem surrounded, and Hezekiah used that secret weapon, prayed, and God sent an angel out and destroyed 185,000 enemy soldiers in one night, and they went home in shame and disgrace, and, and the, the victory was won. Now, in our nation, the Democratic Party has swung so far to the left that if they were to win the presidential election and win majorities in the House and the Senate, uh, America as we know it would be no more. And I urge Christians everywhere to agree in prayer. Use your secret weapon. See, if you listen to the polls and you listen to the drive-by media, you'll get all shook up and you'll be like that servant of Elisha. You'll say, alas, my master, we're surrounded. What shall we do? Well, God's just telling you, take courage. Use your secret weapon. Go to prayer. Now, we can ask God to open the eyes of this nation so that Satan's deception cannot, bl cannot blind people into believing lies and voting for a party platform that would bring absolute chaos, destruction, and the wrath of God. Don't fear, just take courage. Now, you could Google this. The, the author and pastor, prophetic writer, Jonathan Kahn, C-A-H-N. If you'll uh, 
Google him. He has a prophetic announcement. It's on YouTube. It's called The Return. And it's uh, September 26th. They're calling for a great massive gathering at Christians at the Washington Mall in front of the Capitol. And then a week long of prayer, but especially on that day to have prayer meetings all over America. And of course, we want to participate in that. But we don't want to wait till that one day to pray. We want to start praying right now. Now, the Bible says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, you know, and turn from their wicked way, in other words, repent, then I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. So we want to start repenting because we want to get answers to prayer when we use our spiritual weapon. Now, one time in my life, I repented for a whole year over unbelief. It was uh, sort of a family sin. Our house was supercharged with unbelief. My dear father was a wonderful man, but he got involved in masonry and got deeply into just a spirit of unbelief. And uh, it just was all through our house. So I not only repented for my own lack of faith, but I repented for generational unbelief. And I repented for a year. And then at the end of that year, God put arches in my feet, supernaturally healed my flat feet. So here's some things we could all repent of. So you might think, I'm a good Christian. I don't need to repent. Well, how about uh, asking God to forgive you for doubt, worry, fear, and unbelief? Now, don't you think there's probably some of that in your life? And you should say, that's yucky stuff. I don't want that. Lord, forgive me and cleanse me. How about to asking God to forgive you for not sharing your faith? Is there anybody out there that thinks that you share your faith enough? Well, a lot of us see we can just be secret believers, or maybe if we share our faith in church, and then we're not doing a very good job of sharing our faith with all the people all around us. So I think uh, that would uh, be a good thing to repent about. How about asking God to forgive us for wasting precious time? You know, we're not in eternity. We're in the realm of time, and time is running out. Jesus said you have to work while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. Uh, the time of grace where God is offering free salvation to the whole world, that's going to close. Jesus said that, and then when the door closes, you'll stand outside and knock, but he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Right now, the door of grace is open, and we shouldn't be wasting this time. How about praying, uh, Lord, forgive me for sins of omission, for, for not doing uh, what I'm called to do. Many people need to repent of what they're not doing. All right, then uh, how about, forgive me, Lord, for not asking for big things and believing you for big things. Now, you might have to repent for sneaking a drink of whiskey or taking drugs or flirting with someone at work or I don't know what you need to repent of. But whatever it is, uh, I hope that you'll let the Holy Spirit guide you. And then when you've repented, use your secret weapon. Now, I believe that preachers in America especially need to repent. I read an article from the Pew Research Center. It was called The Digital Pulpit, a nationwide analysis of online sermons. Here's the quote. A person attending every single service in an evangelical church for two months straight would have less than a 10% chance of hearing a phrase that included the words hell or redemption, two of the most distinctive words that characterize evangelical Christianity. See, I have a chapter in my book about the importance of spiritual warnings and all the great preachers in the Bible, Jesus, John the Baptist, Peter, and Paul, they warn people. 
that there's a hell to avoid. Jesus especially talked more about hell than, than anybody in the Bible. Called it a fiery furnace where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the worm never dies, the fire's never quenched. Now, in modern Christianity, all that is left out, so we're using a carrot with, not, with no stick. You know, the whole carrot and stick approach. The donkey, you want to get him to go, you're trying to ride the stubborn donkey, you hold a carrot out in front of his face. Maybe he'll go after the carrot. If that doesn't work, you hit him on the rump with a stick. Well, <clears throat> modern churches just use the carrot approach. If you come to Christ, God's going to bless you, everything's going to be good, and you're going to get heaven, and then they leave completely out if you don't repent, uh, you're going to die. You're going to be thrown into the lake of fire forever with the devil, and uh, there'll be no way out. Now, see that the people get to thinking, well, that's that's just you know that's embarrassing. That's that's old fire and brimstone stuff. No, that works because you see, warnings save people when they heed the warnings. But we need to repent of a Christianity that has decided to take out the warnings. Paul said, "I night and day." I warned you night and day with tears for three years. I warned each of you. Well, he had a powerful, effective ministry because he had spiritual warnings. So there's a whole chapter on that in my book. And that's one of the things uh, preachers need to repent of is that they decided they'd just make things more popular. Don't talk about how you have to be redeemed by the blood of Christ or you can't be saved and you'll end up in hell. Uh, so if you're not warning people, if we're not preaching repentance, salvation through Christ, that there is a hell to avoid, we certainly need to repent. Now, that's one of the reasons I'm working so hard to raise up true spiritual leaders. I really don't just want to sell books. I want to raise up spiritual leaders. And that's why I'd like you to read this book, see? And I'd like you to teach it. Now, Christians everywhere should repent for putting up with powerless Christianity. And we should be ashamed at the lack of God's power displayed in our churches. See, in most churches, in my opinion, there's almost no power. But be encouraged. You know what? God loves to forgive people when they repent. God loves to forgive people. And when they repent, God loves to answer their prayers. So what if we're surrounded? The enemy doesn't have our secret weapon. Now, my fourth point, take courage from the promises of God. I heard our pastor, Cliff Traub, and I can't remember the name of the missionary, but he was quoting a great missionary once that said to his wife, we're down to our last $25 and all the promises of God. Well, that's a great quote. I found Isaiah where Isaiah prophesied, listen to this verse, he who flees at the sound of terror shall fall into the pit. And he who climbs out of the pit shall be caught in the snare. For the windows of heaven are opened and the foundations of the earth tremble. Now, obviously, this is a time of judgment when uh, the foundations of the earth are trembling and, and people are caught in terror and pits and snares. But in that verse, it says the windows of heaven are opened. And of course, that's a good thing. The heavens opened above Jesus and the voice spoke, you are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. When the heavens opened, Stephen saw Jesus at the right hand of God. In the book of Malachi, it says, uh, tithe and I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that there's not room enough to receive. So what's happening here is that when the earth is shaking in judgment, God is opening the windows of heaven 
over his faithful ones. Now you can compare, that's Isaiah 24, 18, and it's in the ESV translation that I'm using. Now let's go to Isaiah 60, verses one through three, and there it says, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Now, thick darkness is over the people in this crazy time. You'd have to nod your head and say, yeah, I believe that's really true. This is, the world has gone crazy. Economic despair, the thick darkness of economic despair because of the coronavirus lockdowns is worldwide. People are wondering worldwide how they're gonna make it. But for God's people, it's a time of great glory because God is being manifest in our midst. It's our time to shine. You see, the earth may tremble, but the windows of heaven are open for us. That's why you want to meditate on the promises of God, because he will speak to you through his word. He'll give you courage through his word. Supernatural faith will come through his word. Now, my fifth point is a time of great spiritual harvest is upon us. Recently, our family, uh, Bonnie, my wife, uh, had her birthday on July 7th. And uh, we spent uh, two days together, and then we spent a couple days uh, with uh, Heather's family and, and all, all our two daughters, all our grandkids. Uh, we were in a beach house. It was on a cliff above a, a beach in, uh, in uh, Lincoln City, Oregon. And so one morning, we chartered a fishing boat out of Newport, and we went deep sea fishing. Now... Uh, fish used to be more abundant back in the 70s. Right now, we're only allowed to catch five black rock bass. And uh, finally, our captain got us over a, a whole bunch of fish he could see with the fish finder. And everybody was catching a few fish. But I noticed that my line kept drifting under the boat. I was on the right side. So I went over to the left front of the boat, and nobody was around me. And there were 14 people, including me, fishing from that boat. And we all had the same kind of bait. Well, I had two kinds of bait on my line, a little tiny rubber squid and a five-inch fish, uh, you know, like a rubber fish. Well, suddenly I began to catch two fish at a time, two at a time. I'd just lower that line down, and as soon as I could feel it hit the bottom, bang, I got uh, bites and... Uh, then there'd be two fish on there. It'd feel like I had a giant fish, but actually be two fish swimming, you know, really tugging the line. And that happened over and over. I'd get those fish off. They'd throw them in the basket and I'd lower the line down. Bang, they'd hit again. And I'd pull up two at a time. Now, that just kept going on and on until I said, should I quit? Should I quit? And they said, no, there's people on the boat that haven't limited out. Uh, just keep catching them. And finally then, the whole boat, was limited out because I was catching so many fish. Now, nobody else, I mean, they caught, you know, like one at a time and maybe caught two, maybe three. Uh, one guy caught four. But I caught, you know, well over 15. Now, I, you know, we each had to keep our limit and, and so we shared with everybody else. But a couple days after that, you know, I realized, you know what? I think God was speaking to me through that. Uh, 
I'm making three tracks right now. For years, uh, I haven't done much with the tracks. I, I made a powerful one. My first big major thing I ever wrote was a tract, and there's like 250,000 in print over the years called You'd Make a Marvelous Christian. Now I'm working on one called The True Story of the Rescued Rat. I think it'll be one of the best tracks ever. And, uh, you know, then I found one that I made when we lived in Chehalis, Washington, that's basically the evangelism explosion message from my book, How to Receive the Life of God, but it's put into a tract form. And uh, I never really classed it up enough to feel confident to sell it. It looked kind of amateurish. So I'm resurrecting that. And, and I believe God is telling me, I'm putting you in a position, like I was in that unique position on the boat with nobody around me. I'm putting you in a position to help people catch spiritual fish, except this time there's no limit. <laughs> there's no limit on how many souls you can believe for. And so we're going to format these tracks so you can send them over cell phones. See, in the old days, you just passed out a piece of paper, but nowadays, everything's so social media. People are scared to death to hand out a tract to somebody, but they're not afraid to send something over the internet. So they'll be uh, formatted to where you can uh, download it and then send it to anybody you want to electronically all over the world. And we'll have a bunch of printed ones. Besides, I still believe it's very important to meet people in person and be friendly and say, man, I just want to tell you the good news that I know. Now, you've heard what a venture capitalist is, what they do. Those are people that have money, but they're looking for the next great idea, and they fund it in the early stage of the project uh, for a great potential of profit. Well, I've got a bunch of great ideas, great messages. I've got another book I need to write about spiritual liberty, and uh, I need... Uh, venture capitalists to invest in early stages of these things because I can have a great idea like a great tract and then just be uh, slowed down for lack of finances. I want you to pray that God will connect me with spiritual venture capital capitalists that want to uh, get in on the early stage of something so that they get a big bunch of the heavenly reward. Now, maybe you could be one. All right, now for years... I have preached that everything we know about God is like a big box of thread. You'll see some women that are seamstress or people that'll have different spools of thread in a, in a box, a sewing box. But, you know, you have to have a needle to get the thread into the material or the thread does no good. And so in the same way, we can know all kinds of things about God, but we need soul-winning methods, which I call needles, so we can get what we know into people. And if you don't have a method then all that you know is like thread in that sewing box. It doesn't get into material. So a couple years ago, I started noticing, you know, I'd win some people sometimes when I'd preach, but a lot of times uh, I'm it's, everybody's a Christian. And I was only winning people in churches. And, I, and, and so I realized, you know, that I, was, I just wasn't being satisfied there. I thought, man, I got too much thread and not enough needles. So I've been praying, Lord, I want new methods. I don't just want a needle. I want a sewing machine. Just get that uh, needle through, you know, into the material. A whole bunch. Uh, fast, rapidly. And then I said, Lord, I don't want just one sewing machine. I want a bunch of sewing machines. Uh, 
Well, now God has uh, given me a sewing machine where we get our books, uh, 21 Ways to Forgive, into prisons. Just today, I uh, talked to chaplains, and we'll be sending um, books to a great big maximum security prison in Boise, Idaho. Right across the street is a medium security prison that's, that's twice as big. So there's about 3,000 people in those facilities. I think all of those are men. But we'll have our books on both sides of the road and uh, building a relationship with those chaplains. They'll be giving them to the prisoners. And so we're up over 2,300 copies placed in 14 states, and the amount of prisons must be around 35 to 40 now. Uh, also, I'm believing God to help me get that book in Spanish since so many of the people in prison are Hispanic people. And uh, the Hispanic churches, of course, would love to use it. So besides the analogy of sewing machines, it's like we're going to catch a whole bunch of spiritual fish. It's like we're right the boat's over the fish, folks. And uh, God is reviving my evangelistic uh, anointing and passion. And I believe I can help you catch spiritual fish, all right? I believe I'm in a unique position to do that, to help you limit out, except there's no limit. Now, my sixth point, take courage. God will give you the fruit of your lips. I found this verse in Isaiah, and it's good to read different translations because sometimes they're just a little bit different, and you'll see something you'd have missed in a different one. So I was reading the ESV in the book of Isaiah, and it says this, chapter 57, verse 18. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord. Now that phrase, creating the fruit of the lips, just jumped out at me. The NIV Bible says, that God will create praise on the lips of the mourners of Israel, but the ESV says God is creating the fruit of the lips. And that stirred me. In other words, uh, I realized that I could speak something and God would create it. Now, this happens in heaven. Richard Sigmund wrote the awesome book, My Time in Heaven. He was dead for eight hours, and uh, then God brought him back, and he witnessed heaven and hell. It's a tremendous book, My Time in Heaven. But he tells about how he, the Lord told him to go into this house, and a lady was creating a weaving. Here's a quote. A woman was weaving the most beautiful tapestry I had ever seen. I was told to go inside the mansion and behold God's glory. The tapestry was hanging in midair without any visible means of support. I can't explain it. I can only tell you what I was shown. The woman had a huge ball of yarn-like material, and she was speaking softly to it, telling it what she wanted it to be. Instantly, it obeyed her wishes. I noticed immediately the beautiful picture that was being formed in the finished part of the tapestry. Now, so in heaven, uh, God was creating the fruit of the lips there, you see. She was telling the yarn what to do, and she didn't have to use uh, any kind of needles. Well, the Bible talks about, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So at least that can happen in heaven. Now, let's uh, compare that with some things that we could experience here on earth. 
I thought to myself, I, you know, I should speak and say that I have provision for my tracks and my books and the DVD and the encouragement videos because if I say it in faith, God can create it. Now, that would be a lot better than saying I can't do what I'm supposed to do because I don't have any money. Now, compare these things to what Paul wrote. He said, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4, 6. So when we pray, we're supposed to thank God for the answer. See, we're supposed to ask and say, thank you, Lord, for hearing me. Thank you that you've granted this request. I just praise you right now. Thank you that I have it. Now, compare that to what Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Well, if you believe you have received it, then you'd thank God. And that's what Paul is saying. You make your request known and then you add in your thanksgiving. What are you thanking God for? You're thanking God that he has heard it, that he has granted it. And Jesus said, believe that you have received it. Believe you've got it. It's a done deal. God heard your prayers. It's on the way. And it will be yours. Well, then you'll feel peace. You'll be flooded with peace saying, I've got it. I've got the answer. And God would then literally create the fruit of your lips. You see, when you say, I've asked God for it. I believe I have it. Your lips are saying things in faith and God creates it. Now, let me clarify something. Pride often cross-dresses as faith. You've got to understand that. So, um, you know, pride would say, I have power to create with my words. I'll speak and have it happen, whatever I want. Now, that's a twisting. You see, that's a perversion because it unplugs from dependency upon God. It is God who creates the fruit of our lips, not us. We do the speaking. God has to create it. Our lips have to do the asking and the thanking. But it's God who creates the fruit of our lips, see? That's true faith. However, pride leaves God out as if we are the creators and we create, our, our own words create. Okay? Then you don't, then, then those people just concentrate on their confession and what they say, and they believe that they can say all the right things and say all the right formulas, and it'll, it'll just magically all happen as if their words were making it happen. Well, God will create the fruit of your lips if your words are right and full of faith, but it still takes God to do it, and you have to ask and believe that you've received, and then it will be yours. Why? Because God answers. All right, you see the difference between faith and pride? Now, we need to speak and tell it what to become. We need to speak to whatever the it is and, and tell it to be removed. What does Jesus say? He said, have faith in God. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes what he says will happen, it will be done for him. See, it'll be done for him. It, 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 his words didn't do it. God will do it. All right? But many times then we're asking God to move the mountain instead of telling the mountain to move and, and believe that he will create the fruit of our lips. You see why we can take courage 
we don't we don't have to be mumbling and grumbling and expressing fear and doubt and worry and unbelief. <clears throat> we can we can command that mountain to move, and uh, just like the lady in heaven was cre- creating the the beautiful tapestry by speaking to the yarn, telling it what to become. I believe we can, you know, God can bless our words, answer our prayers, and give us the fruit of our lips. Create the fruit of our lips, if our lips are saying the right thing. All right, my seventh point is take courage and ask God for big things. Take courage. If you take courage, you'll ask God for big things. Psalms 2. Take a look at that. See if it doesn't sound like it's right up to date says, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. In other words, they act like, uh, 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 like serving God is a bondage. That's the devil's big lie. Serving God is freedom, and serving the devil is to be bound with cords of sin. Anyway, it says, He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. And then in verse 8, he says, Ask of me, and I'll make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Well, I'm asking God, I don't want to break anybody in pieces. I'd like to break the devil and demons uh, and their bondages and chains in pieces, I'm asking God for thousands of Hispanics to be saved through my ministry. And uh, by God's grace, we'll get 21 ways to forgive into Spanish. Uh, By God's grace, I'll put tracks into Spanish as well. The Hispanic population is now 18% of, of the United States. It's our largest minority. It's like having the boat over the fish. The fish finder... It's showing vast schools of spiritual fish. I'm going to catch a boatload, and so can you. But you've got to ask. Think big, see? Take courage. Ask for something big. Now, here's another promise. It says in Isaiah 60, 22, The least one shall become a clan, and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord, and it's time I will hasten it. See, now God can multiply you. So you say, well, I'm the least. Well, you can become a clan. You might say, well, uh, I'm the smallest. Well, you can become a mighty nation. Now, the NIV translates the clan as the least of you will become a thousand. Clans were big things in the Bible. There were tribes, and then in the tribes were clans. But where the tribe might have 70, 80, 100,000, the clan might have two, 3,000. Why not believe God for a thousand souls? You could start sending tracks over social media. See, you got to think big, got to think, well, I may be small and I may be little, and, uh, uh, but God can do it. So I often tell God, you know, Lord, I'm really small. That's true. But he used really small things, a little boy's lunch, for instance, to feed a mighty multitude of people, 5,000 men plus all the women and children. So you should take that verse and say, all right, God, I'm going to ask you. I want, to, I want at least a thousand people to come to Christ through my life. And Lord, and then when you get the thousand, say, now, Lord, uh, I'm still alive. I'm going to ask for some more big things. I want the people that come to Christ through my life to be like a mighty nation. Now, 
you won't win a multitude to Christ because you're great. It'll be because you ask and believe and put faith into corresponding words and actions. But I want to tell you, friend, get your bait in the water. All right? You know what I'm saying. Here's a big thing to ask for. Get ready. Black lives do matter to God. But those who really love black people want them to have school choice for their children. I bought a book by Thomas Sowell, who is a brilliant black scholar. And his book is called Charter Schools and Their Enemies. And he researched it, so a whole lot of the book is just tables and facts. But what he did is he compared charter schools that met in the same building as public schools in the same city. They were all in New York City, so they were in the same neighborhood. They had the same racial mix. They met in the same building. The only difference was but some were charter schools and some were public schools. And the charter schools outperformed the public schools by multiple of four or five times more kids becoming proficient. For instance, uh, in an English class or a math class, maybe in the public school, uh, 15, 10% would be proficient in math or English before they move to the next grade, but, but it would be like 75, 80, 90% in the charter school would be proficient. And they were the kids coming out of the same uh, rough areas of the city. Now, Joe Biden's platform is he's publicly saying he wants to get rid of charter schools. Publicly saying that. Why would he want to do that? Because the teachers unions see are big political uh, contributors. But if you love black people, you know, what's, what's terrible is that in the inner cities, the public schools are completely failing for the most part. Maybe there's some exceptions, but for the most part, they're really lousy schools. And the charter schools come in in the same area, same building, and just do four or five times better. Now, black people, black parents, black children deserve school choice. And we need to pray and say, God, we want that for them. That's a big thing. See, that's a big thing to ask for. It's time to liberate the black parents in the inner cities of America and give them school choice. See, about 80% of the inner city school children are not achieving competency in either math or English, and so that uh, locks them into a life of poverty. And this book has statistic after statistic, chart after chart. You can't argue with it. It's just fact. So we should ask God for something big, that the educational system in America would be changed. Now, President Trump's talking about removing the tax-exempt status from universities that are teaching the overthrow of America, teaching communism, etc. And I believe we need to defund not the police, but the public school system. And that might sound too radical for you, but you know what? If everybody just had a voucher, then they could choose the school that they wanted. I believe all parents should have school choice. And then what would that do? There'd be some creative destruction. The, the good schools would arise, the bad schools would go out of business. There shouldn't be a monopoly on the school system where the, the only one in charge is, is teaching our kids to become transgender and can't teach them math or English. It's, it's, it's bad enough to fix. Now, my dad wasn't a great mechanic or a carpenter, but finally, if something got bad enough to fix, 
he'd either hire it done or figure out a way to do it. That was one of his lines. Well, I believe the educational system in America is bad enough to fix. Now, here's a promise for God's people. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. That's Isaiah 61.4. Does it sound like too much to ask God for revival and restoration in a city like Seattle, Baltimore, Minneapolis, Detroit, New York, Los Angeles? See, God doesn't want to scrape these cities into the garbage. He'd like to repair these ruined cities. The Bible talks about ruined cities that have been devastated by bad and corrupt leadership for generations. Now, we need to pray for a national revival that repairs what has been ruined. You see, if you don't watch it, you'll adopt a theology that says, well, it's God's just going to destroy it all. It's so wicked. God's just going to destroy it. God can destroy it all. Sure. But you can believe for God to destroy everything with a heart of doubt and unbelief and worry and fear. It doesn't take much spirituality to believe that God's sick of it all and could destroy it. It takes a lot more faith to say, God, you'd be glorified if, if you restored these ruined cities that have been ruined for generations. That would bring God a lot more glory. All right, now, that, you see, we need to take courage and believe for big things. Big things, transformational things, glorious things. Number eight, I want you to take courage from prophetic words. I urge you to visit the website hiskingdomprophecy.com. There's a lady named Veronica West who lives in England. I believe she's a real prophetess. And I, I watch for her new postings. Every once in a while, she'll put, have a new prophetic dream or vision. So let me give you a sampling. Uh, June 27th, she had a spiritual dream, and she was walking besides Jesus, and she just felt wave after wave of his love. And she asked him where he was going, and he said, I'm going to meet him in the Rose Garden. And she knew that him was President Trump. Now, when Jesus spoke those words, then they came to a beautiful, tall, white archway, and a gate appeared. And she heard the words, the archway of triumph. And she watched from that gate, looking in. She didn't go into the garden. She just watched. And in the rose garden, in this dream vision, the roses had all been cut to the ground. And it looked like the garden was experiencing a harsh winter. And a song came to her. I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. Along with the sunshine, there's got to be a little rain sometime. And then in this vision, she saw two weeping willow trees and President Trump appeared from behind one and ran straight up to Jesus and stood in front of him. And in the vision, Jesus said to him, Fear not, for weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I am the rose of Sharon and the lilies of the valley. The lily of the valleys. Watch, for the time of blooming has come. And then Veronica heard the words spoken. Watch, for the winds of change are now blowing upon the rose garden. And then in this dream vision, she saw the rose bushes that had been cut to the ground begin to burst forth with new life. Beautiful bright green leaves and big uh, red roses suddenly appeared on the stems of the bushes. And then Jesus and President Trump stood together under the tall white archway called Triumph. And she heard Jesus say these words, I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. Watch. 
for the time of blooming has come. All right, that's just one vision. On June 9th, uh, she had two powerful dreams. She heard a voice that say, watch for the weight of my glory will counteract the words of witchcraft and wick and uh, wickedness in the nations of the earth. And then she saw scales of justice. And on one side, there was a golden bowl. The left side was just filled with every kind of wickedness and it was weighed down real heavy. And then she saw a golden plumb line drop from heaven and heard the words, I'll make righteousness the measuring line and justice the plumb line. Then a fiery rain from heaven began to fall, and that fiery rain filled the golden bowl on the other side of the scale, causing it to far outweigh all the wickedness. So the scale shifted, and uh, she heard a voice that said, Watch, as an outpoint of my glory brings forth awakening, revival, and restoration to the nations of the earth. See, I believe God is going to give us a great, not only national revival, but international revival and that it's beginning. And so then she went back to sleep, and instead of the justice scale, she saw a seesaw. And at the fulcrum there, you know, the middle of it, uh, was the words T period, R period, U period, M period, P period, the initials, but they spell out Trump. And she heard the words truth, righteousness, unity, mercy, and peace. Well, truth starts with T, R starts with righteousness, starts with R, unity starts with U, mercy starts with M, and peace starts with P. But put that together and it spells Trump. Then in the, the dream vision uh, on this seesaw, see that was the focal point, the middle of it, uh, a donkey appeared on the left side of the seesaw and then more and more donkeys appeared on the left side so that it was just impossible to count them all. And then she heard a trumpeting of a large elephant, and a large elephant appeared on the other side, and she heard creaking and cracking. You know how elephants would outweigh donkeys. Well, then she saw the donkey's brain and, you know, just uh, making loud sounds, and she heard the words, watch and pray, for the nation of America is now at a divine tipping point. Usually when we hear that, we think that's tipping the wrong way. But in this case, more and more elephants appeared on the right side until they far outweighed the donkeys, and that was the vision. It doesn't take uh, too spiritual of a person to be able to interpret that vision. Now, uh, here's my conclusion. A promise from God who said to arise and shine in the time of gross darkness, right underneath that, you know, you drop down just a few verses to Isaiah 60, verse 5, says, Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exalt because of the abundance of the sea. The abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, and the wealth of the nations shall come to you. Well, I had a little foretaste of what it's like when the abundance of the sea is turned to you. When I was dropping my line immediately to big fish, uh, would get on the line at once, and I'd struggle to get them up because uh, they're pulling so hard. Let it down again. Same thing happened over and over and over. That didn't happen to the other 13 people on that fishing boat. Well, it's not that I care much about catching an abundance of fish, but when the Bible says the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, that the world is full of a sea of people. 
What I really want is an abundant catch of souls. And what does it mean then when it says the wealth of the nations shall come to you? Stop and think. Uh, do you need a bunch of gold and silver? The real wealth of the nation is the young people. The young people are the greatest treasure of, of parents and, and, and grandparents. Come on, you'd trade your house and everything you own to save the life of your child. So when it says the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, I believe that's a great spiritual harvest. And the wealth of the nations, God could turn you know, prosperity to you, meet every financial need, but uh, I think the greatest interpretation and the rightest one there is that the wealth of the nations represents a massive revival in the young people. So take courage, my friend. We have a great God. We have a secret weapon. Our enemy doesn't have the weapon. We have the great promises of God, the great prophetic promises. God will create the fruit of our lips. We have every reason to take courage. And when we take courage from God, then it's going to enable us to achieve the miraculous. So take courage, pray, believe, and rejoice in your God. I love you. God bless you. If you would like to partner with us at Encouragement Expert, please email us at pastorbacker at gmail.com. Or you can write P.O. Box 485, Cresswell, Oregon, 97426.